This is our last series, our last sermon in the series. Do you complete each other? As a husband and a wife, do you complete each other? Do you bring out the best in each other? Maybe you could answer it this way. Maybe it's not you bring out the best, you might bring out the worst in each other. Don't answer that out loud. Don't hit the next person. Marriage, it should bring out the best. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today is how do you bring out the best in your spouse? Are you doing it? Are you living that way? Now, just for fun, I read a, um, an article out of the um, Reader's Digest, and I would like to just give you this quiz, all right? So everybody gets to take the quiz. It actually says that there's two types of people. There's type Z, and then there's type A, all right? So I want you to figure out which type you are, okay? It's simple questions real quick. All right, if you're gonna go on a trip, here's the first one. How long before the plane leaves do you arrive at the airport? All right, type A or type Z, ready? Type A, they have to get there early. They actually pack their, day, their bags days in advance. And if their flight is at four o'clock in the afternoon, they have to leave by noon in order to make sure they show up on time. Type Z, here's what they do. They pack hastily and at the last minute they arrive at the airport and if it's not too late, they'll grab an, a newspaper and they're on their way. Type A, you ready? What about breakfast? Type Z, Type A, which one are you? Type A, gets their breakfast, eats a good breakfast every morning. Type Z, they're just lucky to grab a cup of coffee. All right, how many are your type A so far? How many more types Z? All right, very good, you ready? Here we go, here's the lights. What do you do with the lights in your house? Okay, lights in your house. Type A, they turn off all the lights when leaving a room. They lock the doors when leaving the house. They go back into the house just to make sure they locked it. Type Z, they leave the lights burning and if they lock the door at all, when they leave the house, they probably have forgotten several things inside the house. Type A, type Z, what about this? Toothpaste, type A, you squeeze the tube of toothpaste from the bottom and roll it up ever so neatly. Type Z, you squeeze the tube from the middle, you just don't care, it doesn't matter, just get the toothpaste out. Which type are you? Type A, raise your hands. Type Z, raise your hands. All right, here we go. Here's what they said. In this article, they said, it's typical that A's marry Z's. Would you agree with that? Isn't it interesting how different we are? And especially once you get married, you don't realize how different you are until you get married. And as you begin to go, why in the world would you do that? It doesn't even make sense. Why would they act that way? Why would they make that decision? Come on, if, if you make that decision, you know that's wrong. It should have been done this way, right? So the question becomes, with the differences, how do we bring out the best in our spouse? If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter five is where we're going today. Ephesians chapter five. This has been a series we called Holy Marriage. And what we have been doing is we have been walking through just a small portion of this where it's verse 25, 26, and 27. And we began to talk about how that God is moving us and moving us in our marriage to say, maybe it's more than just about being happy, but maybe God is drawing us to this bigger view that marriage is designed to actually make us more like God, to make us holy. And we began to talk about this and we began to work through this passage. And here's where we're at today. Today, as we begin to wrap this up, what I wanna show you is this, that in your marriage, God has actually designed the marriage to bring out the best in your spouse. And that is 
a goal that you should have, that I should have as we go through marriage. Ephesians chapter five, would you stand for the reading of God's word? I like to stand for the reading of God's word because it draws attention to that we're coming to God's words. It's a holy Bible. It's a Bible that's set apart. It's not just words that any human is speaking, but it's God's. And here's what it says, verse 25. Here's where we started the series. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27 is where we're focusing today. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings and your goodness. God, I'm amazed at how that you allow us truly, people who have been broken by sin, that God, you give us grace and mercy and redemption. And God, you allow us to come into your presence. And God, you don't give us judgment, but you give us grace and you give us your love. And we're amazed by that. And in this moment, God, we're asking that truly your Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in this place. We need to hear from you. So God, I pray that you would remove all distractions and that God, you would show up and speak so that we can clearly hear you. I pray everything in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, may be seated. So here's what we have. Paul has been writing. He's been doing some teaching for us. If you have your bulletins, make sure you pull out your your notes. We're gonna be taking those in just a moment. What Paul has done is he he began to lay out. He says, all right, husbands, this is how you're supposed to be interacting with your spouse. This is what it's supposed to look like. And the reason why is this, because marriage has been designed to actually be a symbol or to be a representation of what God has done for us, how God loves us, how Jesus Christ loves the church. That relationship, your marriage is to reflect and to be a representative to all those in the world. You see, many people might not ever read the Bible, but they will read how your marriage relationship is. They will see how your family interacts. You call yourself a Christian? Well, how do you interact when they're watching, when they're seeing? They're watching you and they're wanting to say, does God actually make a difference? Does Christ make a difference? And so what it should be telling the watching world is this, that yes, Jesus makes a difference in my marriage. Yes, Jesus makes a difference in my life and in my family. And because it makes such a difference, it reflects how Jesus loves the world and how Jesus specifically loves his church. Not this building, but those who claim the name of Jesus Christ as their savior. And the call is this. The call is for men, you and I, to begin to love our spouse the way God has called us to love. And here's what it says. Here's the reason. He says, I want you to love... Because, verse 27, it says this, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Paul is writing, he's, he's working back and forth between the, the marriage relationship and the relationship of Jesus loving the church. And watch what he does. He says, the reason you do this is so that Jesus loves, and the way Jesus loves is so that he can present the church to himself in splendor. He goes all the way back to, to a marriage. Now think about this. In the wedding ceremony, what do we do? Ladies, it takes a while to get ready for that wedding day. You have to get the dress just right, right? 
You have to get it fitted and, it, and it's going to be sewn. It's going to be stitched. It's going to be changed up. You have to figure out what style of hair you're going to have. And what you're doing is this. You're working to make sure you accentuate your beauty, correct? Guys, you get a haircut and we hopefully shave, trim your beards. Here's your first point. You ready? The first point is this, to bring out the best in your spouse, to bring out the best in your spouse, what we have to be going after is this, filling the gaps of our spouse, filling the weaknesses. Every one of us have weaknesses. Every one of us have faults and failures. Every one of us have problems that we can't necessarily overcome, but we also have strengths, don't we? And when God brings two together, here's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm bringing you together so that we can actually adorn and we cover so we can present you in splendor to actually have that wedding day, that wedding moment. The bride's dream is this, is to present herself, to adorn herself in such a way that when the doors open to the chapel and her groom is standing down here, when the doors open, there is this wow moment to say, wow, that's the one I get to marry. To remove the weaknesses is what we try to cover up in that wedding ceremony. And there's this splendor that Jesus is saying, what I'm going after is this. In your relationship, I'm working towards, and I'm working towards in your own personal lives, I'm working to remove those weaknesses. And the reason I brought two people who are sin-filled, who are broken, who are really have a lot of problems, I bring them together, and yes, it's gonna be hard, But in the middle of making it hard, what you're trying to do is this. You're trying to actually cover those weaknesses of your spouse. There's probably a good chance that one of you is really good with finances and the other one is not so good. And instead of maybe griping at that person, what do you need to do? Maybe come alongside them and help them with their finances to actually see the weakness and to help cover it. Our tendency is this. Our tendency is to know the weakness of our spouse and to call it out over and over and over and over again. Never offering grace, never offering forgiveness, but just to keep hounding on it and picking at it and never releasing and never saying, hey, I see your weakness, but in seeing your weakness, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm actually trying to walk alongside you and I wanna be your helper to get it right, to fill the gaps. How many of you have ever read Dear Abby? Have you ever seen the Dear Abby columns? Yes, I, I read this one. This was quite comical. Dear Abby, um, there was a person who wrote, and the letter said this, my husband burns the hair out of his nose with a lighted match. Now, guys, if you do that, let's not even talk about it after church, all right? And then here's what she says. And he thinks I'm crazy because I voted for Goldwater. It's so easy to pick somebody else's faults out, Right? And then to, to be thinking somebody's crazy. Well, here's another one. Ann Landers, she, she's claiming, and she's, she's a writer as well. And she had a, a, a wife who was concerned. And here's what she's concerned about. You ready? She says, my husband hides my dentures so that I cannot go out and vote for a Democrat. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? We see the weakness in our spouse. That's the point. You see the weakness, and the question becomes, how are you working to reveal the splendor and not reveal the ugliness? It's a great question. And it's a challenge for you, it's a challenge for me because it's a lot easier just to point out the weakness. And I wanna challenge you. Your challenge is to bring out the best, to call them to a new level, 
Number two, let me show you the next one. Here's what it says. It says, to present her, to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Here's your point number two, bringing out the best by persevering through the hardships. Persevering through the hardships. Every marriage, every marriage will have spots and there will be wrinkles. There will be bumps, there will be hardships, there will be good times and there will be bad times. The problem is this, is when we come to that wedding ceremony and the pastor says this, for better or for worse, we rarely hear the worst, do we? We actually say, no, I'm getting married. It's for the better. And from here on out, it's gonna be smooth sailing. The problem is, is that there are gonna be spots and wrinkles, bumps and bruises. There are gonna be hard times in your life. There'll be a loss of job. There'll be crisis that comes into your life. There'll be major issues you're gonna have to deal with. And the question becomes, how do you move on? How do you move through it? And what your call is, is this, to actually help remove those spots, to go through those spots, to go through those wrinkles. If you are a, a mom in here, you understand spots. Your kids go out to play and you say, hey, stay out of the water, stay out of the mud. And what do they find? They find the mud, they find the water. My son, when he comes home from his baseball games, Man, he's just stained, and the coach wants him to wear white pants. You're going, please, no, not white. Why? Because you're scrubbing, and you're scrubbing, and you're trying to get the spots out. Spots are hard to remove. It doesn't just come out just by simply saying, oh, we threw it in the washer. You have to actually scrub on it. Last night, we had one of these accidents in the home where um, my son was bringing his chips and salsa out of the room, and he spills the salsa all over the white carpet. Hello, man, spots, they're hard. You have to get down on your hands and knees. You're cleaning, you're scrubbing, you're, you're working hard at it. What about wrinkles? If you have certain clothes, your, your clothes don't wrinkle so bad, but when you have certain types, all of a sudden it begins to wrinkle on you and you have to spray it with water and then you're, you got the iron out and if you put too much heat, then you burn your clothes. It's work. And here's what the point is. While we don't set out to have hardships, you're going to have hardships. And in the midst of those hardships, your call is this, to go through it and to remove the spots, to remove the wrinkles, and you can't do it on your own. You're going to need God showing up in your life. So here's what I want to show you. Although we want to be married, and we want to marry, be married with all the great things, there are going to be hardships. Just for fun, I did a, a search on wedding traditions, let me share with you a couple of these. The ancient Greece, in ancient Greece, the wedding cake of choice was almost always cheesecake doused with honey. How many of you like cheesecake? It would fit right in. Ancient Rome, here's what they did. In ancient Rome, the custom was to actually take the wedding cake and break it over the head of the bride. Hello. That's not good, is it? You, I mean, Brides today don't even really want much on their face as, you know, just shoving it into each other's face, but it had to be broken on her head. Now watch. And only those children who abided by this custom were legally eligible to hold high government offices. Isn't that interesting? So I guess they keep record. Okay, the bride's okay. She, she had the cake over her head. Anglo-Saxon weddings, and here's what they would do. At, instead of exchanging rings, 
the bride would actually take off her shoe. She, she would pass it to her husband and her husband would actually take the shoe and tap her head. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Okay, thank you so much. You're tapping the head with your shoe. My goodness. <laughs> There's gonna be hardships. We don't plan on it. We don't want it there's going to be hardships. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do a drawing just for fun um, because I haven't drawn in a while. So we're going to do a little drawing and you can put this in and that way it just helps you understand. Here's some basis for going through the hardships in marriage because they're going to come. So what I want to do is just show you a couple things here. We're not, uh, huh, you already saw it. I guess I could have left it up for you. That would have saved me time. All right, here we go. So here's what we have. We have a triangle. And I want to walk you through the foundation. The foundation starts with this. The foundation starts with trust. And the reason I say trust is this. It's not trust in your spouse. When the hardship comes, the foundation is trust in God. That God is still sovereign. That God is still in control. No matter what is going on. If your trust begins to weaken. When you begin to look to your spouse to be the savior you begin to lose what God is calling you to do. And through the hardships, it has to start with this commitment. If you lose the trust in God that God is in control, in the midst of the hardship, you will begin to find your, your faith wavering and you will be hurting. Number two, Jiminy Christmas. <laughs> Let's try this again. Okay, trust. Our second point is this, commitment. Commitment. And here's what I mean by commitment. In the midst of a hardship, you need the commitment to know and to understand that you're not walking away in the midst of the hardship. That your spouse isn't walking away. That you are both committed to a covenant-keeping, loving relationship. So no matter how hard it gets, no matter what difficulty you're going through, in the midst of the trial, you need to know you need to know without a doubt that there can't be a question. So maybe you have to communicate it. Maybe you need to talk about it, but you have to be able to say to each other, I know you're not leaving, even though this is hard, even though we don't want this in our life, you're still around and I'm still around and you can count on me in the midst of that hardship. So when cancer hits, I'm here. You can count on me no matter how hard it gets. I'm here. No matter what's going on in your life, the addiction that you're having to deal with, it's I'm here. I'm right here with you. It's a commitment. I'm here through it. Next, grace. It's a word that we throw out often, especially in the Christian environment. But here's grace, grace being lived out. In the midst of the hardship, you have to just begin to understand there's gonna be some tough times and your spouse is gonna need you to give grace and you're gonna need to make sure you receive grace and give grace so that you can continue to move forward. You're gonna be tempted in the hardship to lash out. You're gonna be tempted to, to, to just explode on each other. But in the midst of the hardship, God is calling you to give grace. And as you give grace, it allows God to continue to work through and in the midst of that hardship. The next one is communication. This sounds obvious, but quite often what happens is this. When we're in the middle of a hardship, Spouses tend to stop talking. They, they tend to, to just roll over and not even really look at each other in bed anymore. To actually just slam the door, to walk out, to not even, I gotta move out of rooms. I gotta go driving for a while. And the communication begins to stop. I read a quote this week out of um, Sacred Marriage. Actually, it was several weeks ago. And as I read the book, here's what they talked about in 
communication. They said, on average, on average, a couple, husband and wife, will spend 27 minutes talking to each other in one week. That's actually in conversation. 27 minutes. And then you add a hardship in there. You add, you add friction in there. All of a sudden, the communication begins to stop. And let me help make sure you understand where we're headed. If you stop talking in the midst of the, uh, the hardship, you're not going forward. You're getting worse. There has to be communication. There has to be talking. Matter of fact, he said this, that more couples spend more, have talked the most on their third date. Now, let me just ask, how long, how, how many years has it been since that third date? The further away you get from that third date, the less the communication goes. It goes down and you spend less time talking and less, here's what he said, the difference is they also talk the most during the last year before a divorce. And those are usually heated arguments. And I wanna challenge you in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of persevering, trying to say, I'm gonna bring out the best. In order to bring out the best, you have to walk through these. And here's your last one is this. The last one is learn. And here's why I say learn. There are many people, especially even in this room today, we could actually talk about and look to that have been through what you're going through. And as a couple, one of the greatest things that you can use within the church is this. You can work through the relationships that are right here. There are many men and women in that first service, in that first gathering. There are many, many men and women in this group right here that if you would just cross the aisle, you would just talk to, you would get involved in that small group, that home group or Sunday school class. Would you, if you would just cross that and begin to work through, look for somebody, if you're struggling and you're in the midst of a hardship, look for someone who's been there who's done that, who's gone through it, who went through it successfully. Here's, and they can share the lessons because we all have lessons to learn no matter where we're at. And we need God to show up and teach us something. So here we go. Let's go back to our, let's go back to the passage. And here's what it says. Here's how he finishes. Ephesians chapter five, verse 27. He gives us the goal that she might be holy and without blemish. You wanna bring out the best in your spouse, you need to understand that you're on a journey towards a sacred mission. The mission is this, that ultimately, ultimately, this marriage that you're involved in is temporary. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody even really wants to talk about it. But this is a temporary marriage. There's a higher calling at stake. And the highest calling is this, that Jesus is trying to prepare you now for when you stand in God's presence and he's trying to get rid of the wrinkles. He's trying to get rid of the, the spots. And he's trying to prepare you so that when you stand before God, that you are prepared and you're ready so that you can say, okay, God, here I am. And God says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You are being prepared. And this moment is this, that Jesus is trying to make sure that you're prepared as that bride adorned, that you're coming ready. And the sacred mission is this. My great goal is to one, be ready for that day where I stand before God and I'm right with him. And I can say, God, I did my best. I worked through it. I had problems, but God, I did my best. And I, I gave it my all. And here's what he's gonna say. Well done, good and faithful servant, if I did that. But watch, in this moment, God has brought a wife to me and I to her. And as we work through this, here's the beauty. 
The sacred mission is this, that I'm not going through this life alone. And this journey is not just about Heath. This journey is about making sure that she actually is prepared to stand before God as well. Did you hear that? My job and my goal is to make sure I'm helping her. So I come alongside so that she's actually able to be presented well to God. And her job is to also come alongside Heath and to come alongside me to help me be what God has called me to be. And this sacred mission is so amazing that when we're both working towards helping each other be what God has called us to be, then no matter what the trial, no matter what the hardship, we're actually moving towards where God has called us ultimately to be. And here's what happens. When we're both going after that, then when the lost and dying world is looking at my life and looking at her life, whether she's at school, a public school teacher, or whether it's here or whether we're interacting, here's what they say. Wow, you're going through that junk. You're going through that. You're going through what's, whatever's going on in your life or my life. The goal is this, that people say there's something different. What's different about you? Did you read a book? I need to read the marriage book you've been reading. You can say, yeah, it's right here. It's not that I make a difference. It's not that my wife makes a difference. It's that God makes a difference in my marriage. And that we're both going after becoming what God has called us to be. And the sacred mission, when I'm going after becoming what God wants me to be, when she's going after what God's called her to be, when I'm trying to help her become what God's called her to be, when she's trying to help me become what God's called me to be, now watch, then it opens up the door for our witness and it expands our witness because now the the world that is watching is saying, they have something that I want. I want a marriage that has that kind of purpose. When you infuse heavenly meaning into your earthly marriage, it will radically reshape and transform your marriage. It'll transform it. But most of the time, we get so caught up in this temporary lifestyle that we're living that we forget about the permanent lifestyle in heaven. And the call is about the permanent lifestyle. And this is a tool. This marriage is a tool that God uses to reshape and hone us, to build us, to make us, and help us become what Christ has called us to be. And the challenge is to allow your marriage to bring out the best so that you become what God has called you to be. And when you do that, you begin living the dream, the dream marriage that God has called you out to be. 